0: Hoops Heaven proudly brings to you Basketball Hustle, featuring your host the Rider Chris Pike and the Scoring Machine Sean Reddish.
1: Now it's time for another episode of Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle. Hello and welcome
0: to a special bonus episode here of Hoop7's Basketball Hustle. We're living in some challenging times right now thanks to the coronavirus so I'm sure a lot of us have got some time on our hands and let's hope a lot of our listeners here to the show throughout the NBL season are keen, to, keen for some more some, some more action as well. So myself, Chris Pike and my co-host Sean Redditch, the scoring machine, the Perth Wildcats legend who I'm sure you're all ever ever so familiar with. We're, we're looking to catch up with some people you know that we've been involved with through our basketball past, and and hopefully you're happy to come along for this ride with us here at Hoop 7s Basketball Hustle. So in terms of our first cab off the rank, who better than Damian Martin, the the defensive legend from the Perth Wildcats? Now he's a six-time NBL Championship winner, a six-time NBA NBL Defensive Player of the Year. He he's a, a remarkable story, and and to be honest, it was time for me to take a back seat and let two of the all-time Perth Wildcats' greats catch up and. I hope you all all enjoy listening to Sean and Damo have, have a chat over the next next half an hour or so because, I mean, between them they've won 10 NBL championships, they've played 733 NBL games, they've both represented Australia at the Olympic Games. They are two of the all-time greats of not only the Wildcats but the NBL. So let me take a back seat and let you have a listen to Sean Reddige and Damian Barton here on Hoop Seven's Basketball Hustle.
2: All right, well I'm here with Damian Martin, six time MBL champion. House South self isolation going for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm driving myself insane and ask my wife and I'm probably doing a number on her as well. So it's uh, obviously a different way of living uh, and if you combine that with uh, yeah, an Achilles surgery, it means uh, getting around on on crutches and not being able to go out too often. It's a very boring change to life but uh, obviously understanding why. Uh, but like many people out there, it's not the most fun period of my life, that's for sure.
2: Well it is uh, it is strange Tom. I think uh, none of us have experienced anything like this and and I know you, you know you've been a part of a lot of championships, but uh, talk to me about the six one. Um, how different <laughs> has it been to uh, the previous five?
1: Yeah <laughs> Uh Opposite The complete opposite Is probably the easiest way To, to put it um, You know I was sitting at home And, and we knew an announcement Was going to be made And then it just popped up On my TV That uh, you know Sydney Kings Weren't going to play But you know Any more of the, the, the Grand final And I was just yeah, it's a mixture of emotions. Initially, initially it was shock, and then it turned to anger and frustration because you know I, I legitimately thought we could safely finish the series, and I know that we had tried making it a best of three series, and then tried bringing the games forward for games four and five, um, with the thought at the back of our mind that we want to avoid potential risk of corona really affecting the series. And then obviously, the longer the series went on, the more the impact it was happening. You know, so far as playing games two and three with no. Crowd, um, and then obviously the series being cancelled, and Sydney decided they weren't going to fly. So I held, you know, nothing against Sydney because that could not have been an easy decision to make, sitting in that locker room and everyone sharing their feelings and knowing, you know, some guys are worried about not getting back to America with the borders closing, their family health, so on and so forth. So nothing against Sydney, but that initial feeling of anger and frustration was the fact that we wouldn't be able to close it out. Have that feeling you get when the the siren sounds and you you want a chance. And you get to run over to your teammates, pick up the trophies, so on and so forth. And that was taken away. And instead, we found out by a press conference two days later that we'd uh, won our sixth championship. So it was, I'm glad that we we're there as a team to hear the announcement. Uh, seeing Bryce's reaction is one I'll never forget. Uh, and so we still got to enjoy winning the championship. But never got to experience that feeling that very few athletes get to have, and for guys like Wani, um, whereas his first championship, you know, I you know, I wish he could have experienced it, but hopefully there's many more for him to come.
2: Now, I know you'll take any championship you can get, but do you kind of feel like you're a little bit cheated out of this one? I mean, uh, obviously, there's, there's not a whole lot to fault there, but just do you feel like, you know, you've gone through six months of training, you guys have have <laughs> put the grind, and then it's like, you know, there's a press conference, you guys are up in this room that you guys are in on a daily basis, and, oh, you guys won the championship. Does it feel like a little bit of being cheated out of it?
1: Uh Not necessarily cheated out of it because the world we live in today is a different one to what we're living in, you know, a month ago. Uh, And so that the whole change to the normality of day-to-day living, you know, probably began to change with the how Corona was impacting the Australia and, and for us, you know, the NBL. So it's kind of the start of me really noticing the big changes. And obviously it feels like the NBL championship, you know, it was probably only a month ago, but it feels like a lifetime ago that we are announced as winners because so much has happened uh, on a day-to-day basis. So it was uh, one of those feelings that I can't believe this is happening. And in the end, I got to talk to guys like, uh, you know, Luke Longley and Kevin Lish who are with the Sydney Kings, their captain and then a, a mentor for the coaches, uh, you know, Will Weaver reached out, and, and there was never anything personal. It really, again, us It really was a decision about, you know, guys' physical and mental health, and, and they decided not to play games four and five. And after talking with those guys in particular, and having some time to digest, and, and then realize that even though we don't get to play games four and five and win it that way, you know, we did win a championship. It was a special year. Nothing can take away the fact that we were on that training court every single day. We were up in that locker room every single day, watching video, doing recovery training as hard as we could, the highs and lows that you're well aware of of playing NBL basketball and it resulted in championship, but certainly not the way any of us wanted to win it uh, or would wish you know, future champions to win it.
2: I, and they make a good point there, and I watched the video of when you guys won the championship and Bryce Cotton's running around, but uh, <laughs> was it a little bit awkward knowing <laughs> the social distancing as well? to see you guys <laughs> hugging, but... I'm sure there are
1: some of you who like, oh, should I be doing this right now? <laughs> so, so, back then, like, and again, we're only going back a few weeks. It was, uh, it was one of those things you joke like, laugh about almost with the social distancing. Uh, but my thing I was conscious of was that there was media in the room and we we're getting filmed, and I was like, oh, there's no real, you know, at the time it felt like there was no real winner. Uh, so I'm not going to get too carried away, and I'll, I'll celebrate behind closed doors, not in front of the cameras. Whereas Bryce took the opposite approach. He's like, we won a championship, and so when that got announced, like uh, inside, I was like. this, this is amazing, but then I look up and Bryce is in my face, and then he went and shook hands with everyone, <laughs> the 1.5 metre rule, and then when I heard that he got named grand final MVP, that's probably what made me even happier, because the form he was in, uh, the workload he undertook all season, really was the deserving icing on the cake of what's been one of the most impressive individual seasons that I can remember from any player in the NBL, so I was over the moon when I did hear they went that once further and announced him as grand final MVP, and then obviously we got to go away and celebrate as a team. And, and it was fantastic. Actually, we got together the day before as a team and you know, we're going through the whole season. And then that day where we got announced as the champions, about two hours later, I was actually back at the real estate office writing up an advertisement for a property we we're about to list. But then we got together the next day and celebrated the championship itself. And it was a, it was a fantastic day. Well, the times are changing.
2: You show our age (laughs) now, Damo. You're riding up real estate contracts uh, a (laughs) few hours after finding out (laughs) you won a championship.
1: I was in I was in the office wearing a shirt saying back-to-back, back, and then I had to take that off to wear a button-up shirt, right up a listing, and then go and meet with someone. So, yeah, I, I, I don't want to brag about when people say, oh, how was the partying after your championships?" The sixth one is the one I will never share the story of again. <laughs> and you
2: guys went out uh, on the boat, and I understand a few of the guys uh, took off straight away, back
1: to America. Yeah, so uh, Scott, now uh, our assistant coach, he actually took off uh, on the Wednesday and then on the Friday we got together on the boat and it was an incredible day so a whole lot of fun and then at 6am the next morning I believe Rico took off to the stage and then yeah anyone else that was trying to get interstate or abroad took off within the next 24 hours so Taylor Britt looked out at 6pm for Saturday evening so on and so forth so it was yeah, a well wind uh, you know few days since you know Sydney deciding not to play then it felt like the longest two days of my life waiting for an Announcement to be made, and then before you know, we're celebrating on the boat and, and saying our farewells at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, it was a, the thing that it just happened so quickly. I know that, you know, Friday morning, you guys shoot around game two. Um, I was messaging a few people because I was supposed to be working the game that night as well. And um, everyone's saying, no, nah, it's, it's, it's on, you know, the, the NBA just canceled or postponed their season. Um, and then what was at three o'clock there was, now there was going to be no crowd and uh, no. just a, a, a weird scenario and, and a lot happening. It just felt like the world changed so quickly. Um, and then in the midst of you guys are trying to, trying to win a championship is, uh, was, you know, it just must have been such a almost a surreal experience
1: it was I mean to be honest I, I'm quite a selfish person come finals time in, in the way I live and so I kind of block out the rest of the world and then just live in my own bubble that focuses in on you know game one and then after that it's game two so on and so forth so you know I was aware of what was going on in the news but I was so <laughs> living in my own bubble that you know I couldn't believe the extent of it that went on game day for game two it was when the, it was announced the crowd wasn't going to be allowed in. We'd been told after shoot around the crowd would be there, and the next thing my phone started blowing up with missed calls, text messages, so on and so forth about not being allowed in. I was like, wow, I can't believe this has happened. Get there, and there's no one there, and the adjustment was huge, uh, you know, between there being no crowd at all and then the adjustment of the you know, Sydney changed into a triangle and two which I haven't seen in a long time finally made those adjustments to both of those two things, go to Sydney, have a good win and we were confident getting on the plane that we'll see out games four and five and and then obviously you know, a few days later it wasn't to be but yeah, when you're in that world where it seems like basketball is the most important thing there is then all of a sudden you're brought back to reality when you realise it's only a small part of who you are and an even smaller part of what's important in regard to, you know, people's health and... We got brought back to reality quite quickly and had to make adjustments ourselves and and start focusing on things that were important, like our family and friends. And as we're in isolation, I think we're starting to appreciate just how important those things are and the things we took for granted uh, are just that. And I think we'll have a greater appreciation for them once we're back out there. I've always appreciated basketball, but you know, I wake up every day and a different teammate is telling me how much they're missing it. And uh, even though I wake up every day in pain and and could barely walk or run by the end of it with the Achilles, uh, I give. Me anything to go for a run right now and I'll take it to shoot a hoop.
2: Yeah, it is something uh, when when you when you don't have it you uh you miss it a, a lot more and I think especially when you're just you know, and it's it's a thing where you've just gone through a whole season, but now you're just uh, such an isolation and don't get to have that chance to you know, to catch up with the guys and, and on the court and work out it I'm sure it's a it's it's a hard adjustment on the body. Um, you mentioned about the Sydney Kings and you know their decision to not come back and play game 4 um and then that that waiting period to find out were you worried that they weren't going to award you guys the championship this year over that little two two day uh waiting period that the nbl was figuring things out
1: yeah, I remember just sitting in front of the news immediately after Sydney had said they weren't going to travel over for Game Four, and I think Matty Russell was the first person on Fox Sports who he was asked his opinion, and he said, "Oh, it should go to Sydney because they're the minor premiers." Um, and straight away, I was like, "Oh wow, I did not even realise that was an option." I, you know, in my head, I was either going to be we won, we both won, or no one won. But he was like, "No, Sydney should be the outright winners," and and I was like, "This could really happen," where you know, like you mentioned earlier. It would have been that empty feeling of, well, what was the last six months for? It was going to be taken, like, the thing about sport, or the worst thing about being a coach is there's so much out of control. The beautiful thing about being a player is you can control quite a bit, whereas this was one of those circumstances where even as a player, it was completely out of our control and that generated a whole lot of numbness, frustration, anger, anxiety, and the next two days, yeah, you know, like I said earlier, um, waiting between Sydney's announcement and the NBL's announcement has probably never been two slower days in all my life.
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, looking at it and maybe, you know, living out west and, and playing for the Wildcats, you might call. It- Say that I'm biased, and I, but I don't. I just couldn't see any other decision than you know. You guys have played three games. Maybe if the series was one-one or um, you guys were tied, but I feel like, especially the NBL you used to play only a three-game grand final series. So um, I thought that that was going to be the decision. But I'd imagine it was. It was hard just not that unknown, not knowing exactly what was going to be the decision that was going to be made.
1: Yeah, we got together. So all of us were in our own homes when we saw the announcement by the Kings, and then how it's going to be up to two days before we'll have an announcement from the NBL. And we just got started texting in our group chat, and then someone just Nick Cater said, "Feel free to come on around if anyone wants to." And before you knew it, every single player was over there, and what started as a very quiet, solemn. Environment, uh, just kind of going through our own thoughts about what had just unfolded. Then we realised, no, this is it. We're not playing anymore. Uh, let's, you know, talk about the season we've had. And regardless of what happens in two days' time, know that, you know, no two seasons have the same uh, teammates. So let's enjoy this for what's happened. And, and we'll deal with the outcome uh, in two days. So we enjoyed the afternoon, had plenty of laughs. But the next day, <laughs> I think everyone was back in their own house, laying there going, could this be any slower, please? give us something and uh yeah we didn't hear anything until literally you saw the the live reactions uh, unfold in front of the tv once uh larry Kesselman got up there and we all tuned in
2: well that's interesting because i kind of would have felt like so you guys did, had no clue that, that you're going to be announced or was there you know some rumblings that you were definitely going to get named the championship or were you sitting there waiting just just not knowing which way it was going to go
1: no, I had I didn't know which way it was going to go. I just got off the phone to Luke Longley and Kevin Lish. So how I was feeling that morning uh, was different to how I was feeling after speaking with those guys. And so when I sat there, I was like, okay, what's going to happen? And there was almost almost a calmness uh, that started. And then obviously when they're about to announce it, the butterflies went went into overdrive. Uh, but I was kind of content with whatever decisions they were going to make after having my discussions with those other guys. But the second our team was announced, yeah, I was just. Internally, I was over the moon, and then we went up and had a a team-only meeting. And you know, as you know, being a wildcat, we have a bit of a a motto or a theme during finals or throughout the season. And, And we needed five winners to win a championship between the semifinals and grand final series. So we had a championship photo cut up in five and made a jigsaw puzzle out of it. And yeah, we went up and Trev normally gave it to the MVP after each game to put in the jigsaw puzzle, but he gave me the fifth and final one to to put in the place and and that moment looking around and and knowing that, you know, we'd won the championship and who I'd won it alongside, you know, that's a moment I'll never forget, albeit how corny it it is. But the significance of it, you know, it wasn't lost on me and I'll I'll never forget it.
2: Well, credit to the NBL. I kind of would have thought that there would have been some some inkling of which way they <laughs> were going to go. Um, but the fact that they kept kept their cards close to them, uh, you know, I, I, I like that. It leaves you guys in suspense and, and get that genuine reaction. Um, yeah, well, I from, went and I said,
1: mate. <laughs> I went and saw Trev right before I was like, mate, you've got to tell me, like, what's going on? Goes, I, honestly, I don't know. He'd been trying to get an answer out of Troy. I think at the time when Trev had seen Troy, Troy didn't know. I think Troy found out maybe, our GM may have found out about, a minute before the press conference, I didn't know it at the time, but he was sitting up the back, probably standing up the back with a smirk without us knowing, but other than that, I believe the NBO really did keep it as a surprise for everyone until it was announced uh, by Jeremy, so.
2: Yeah, wow, that's, uh, that's no, it's, it's interesting and, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad glad to hear that they're able to uh, keep that get that genuine reaction. Uh, A couple guys I wanted to ask you about, Um, and you you know, there's a lot of talk about Bryce Cotton. His season was unbelievable, Um, but maybe some guys that you know the the fans don't know a whole lot about. Talk to me about Miles Plumley, impact he had, what's he like off the court, uh, and how well he gelled with the team.
1: Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that for the rest of my life, when someone mentions his name, I'm just going to have a smile (laughs) filter across my face. He's just a funny guy down to earth. Obviously, he's been there, done that, won an NCAA championship with Duke. They spent several years in the NBA, still getting paid out, you know, multi-millions, multiple millions of dollars. Like, but... He doesn't worry about any of that. Instead he's just a down the earth, funny guy with a good outlook on life. And then he gets out on the court and he's, you know, six foot 130 kilos and he might be our fourth quickest guy on the team. Uh his athleticism and agility uh is the best I've ever seen in a big man of that size. Uh, but he's just, you know, a funny guy to be around. Um, when we brought him in, guys were a bit tentative and, and standoffish. Obviously, you know, who's this guy coming in? You know, Dario was very popular. Uh, and then all of a sudden we've got a guy with an NBA culture and history uh, to his name. But he's just a great guy. And, and I hope the Wildcats get him back next season. I hope you really enjoyed his time out here. He's uh, a lot of fun to be around off the court and then on the court, you know, basketball IQ. NBA talent uh, reads the game really well, but when you've got someone that can set screens like that and roll as hard and as quick as they can to the the ring with a Bryce Cotton coming off that pick and roll or Trico White, you know, setting pin downs for Clint Snider, a lot of the stuff he did off the ball that you know some people may not see made us a way better team and made the game easier for someone like a Bryce who's getting double and triple team normally because now you have got to pick the poison of showing and or or doubling Bryce in the on ball and leaving miles to roll to the ring for a dunk. So, you know, he was just a fantastic pickup for us and, like I said, hopefully remains in the Wildcats jersey next season.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because you know, you look at his numbers and then you compare them to Dario Hahn. And there wasn't a whole lot of change, but then you looked at your guys' defensive rating when he was on the court, um, compared to when you had Dario hunt and there was a big difference on uh, the points that you guys were giving up. But I, you know, the thing that I just loved from the first game, he was out there showing, he was, he, you know, he played hard, you know, sometimes mm. it's these guys that come from the NBA and they, you know, they, they think they're NBA players all day. And if they're not playing the NBA, they, they, they feel like the, you know, they can kind of get away with not, not playing, um, not playing hard, I just love the fact that you know when he was out on the court he was he was he was playing with a uh, tremendous effort
1: yeah and, and exactly right what he can do as a defensive end is incredible, and if we can get a full season out of him next year if he does return, then I'm very confident you'll see him named defensive player of the year, he makes all those guys you know there's no secret that the import guards are probably the, the best that's ever been, and the guys that have flows or can get to the ring for layups. All of a sudden, you've got a guy who's contesting at the top of the square of the backboard on every single shot from a starting jump. Uh, he gets out in hard shows and can slide his feet, so you can switch him onto a guard if it's late shot clock. Uh, you know his wingspan is well above seven foot, so he keeps his hands up and gets deflection. So all those little things you want to teach juniors of how to play defense, which can make an average defender or a great defender just purely. Through hustle and willingness to do it every single possession, he does it every single possession. And then you include the fact that he reads the game well. He knows the spots to be in. It. it takes him to another level again. So, yeah, defensively, it doesn't, I haven't, I've never seen the uh, the charts, but it doesn't surprise me that with Miles on the court, we're a better team for it.
2: And it's my understanding, he's got an Australian girlfriend, so there's probably a decent chance that he uh, could could come back to to the Wildcats next
1: year. Yeah, he was planning on coming to Australia um, regardless of once he got fired from his job in China. You know, the Chinese league more of a score score is first mentality for their imports, and, and Miles is certainly not that type of player. He's a, a team team player first and foremost opposed to being an individual scorer. So when he got released, he uh, just was going to go to Brisbane where his girlfriend uh, lives and instead he got the call up and I think he actually offered to pay for his own flight to get out here as soon as possible. I think while the contract was still being drawn up and signed off on, he said, look, I'm happy to pay for it uh, and I can sign it when I get there. That's the type of guy he is. And he's all in once he commits to something, a barrel of laughs in the meantime, but when he steps across that wide line, it's business.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's good to hear. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed, uh, watching him play and just, uh, you know, just impact, uh, you know, six foot 11 guys. It just seemed like that was what you guys were missing. Um, especially to come up against guys like Andrew Bogut, Cam Oliver, um, Sean Long, those guys were kind of giving you guys some trouble earlier in the year. So it was, um, you know, I think it was the right move and you're probably pretty lucky he became available right at that time because you only had, I think he, did he play just the seven games? to get qualified, I think.
1: Yeah, they had to get him in. He had to play that first weekend that he'd arrived. Um so it's similar to, you know, when we signed Bryce, Bryce had to play all the last six games or whatever it may have been to qualify. Same with Miles. And yeah, you you've added off some of those bigs. You know, they're very, very talented, big men. Uh, you know, Cam Oliver was incredible in the semi final series against us. Um but, you know, we, we just knew that we stuck to our game plan. Hopefully we could get the job done and, and then we'll you know, Miles was brilliant in game three in particular of the grand final series, uh and a huge reason why we got out of Sydney with the win.
2: Now The other guy I wanted to ask you about was Nick Kay. I mean, very rarely do you see a guy come from, you know, he was at Townsville, Illawarra was playing pretty good basketball, and then he comes to a championship team in the Perth Wildcats. It's almost like he's taking his game to a whole nother level. Very rarely do you see, you know, going from a less successful environment to a more successful environment and being able to elevate your game. Talked about his progression over the last couple of years. Yeah, I, was,
1: I always knew of Nick because of a common friend we had in Country New South Wales. Who always raved about him as a junior, and always kept a, an you know an eye on his progression through you know university, and then obviously when he came over to Townsville, uh, and I used to joke about it to him uh, that you know we're going to get him to Perth one day, and I always respected who he was as a player. But the, the thing that really sold me on trying to really get him across to Perth was when we were in a Boomer's camp together. And his basketball IQ, uh, you know, we're at the Com Games prepping for that. And every single defensive assignment, he made sure he was doing the right thing. It was incredible. It didn't matter if it was, you know, the first possession of the game or eight minutes into it and fatigue had set in. He was still doing the same thing. And last possession of the game, we could have been up 30 and he was still doing the right thing. Uh, so his basketball IQ was the first thing that stood out to me. And then after that training session, he stuck around and he's his harshest critic. You know, he had a great training session, was shooting the ball well, started doing some individual skill development after training and he was, you know, really getting on himself about missed shots, his follow-through, whatever it may have been. And he did that every single day of the camp. Played really well, and I'm like, this is a guy that's going to continue to get better because of his drive, because of his skill set already, but more be- more importantly, because of his determination to continue getting better. You know, you're, you're, funnily enough, you're the person I use in all my speaking engagements when I give an example of someone who's elite. Uh, you know, when I compare professional versus elite, professional means you simply get paid to do it. Elite means you do every single one of those cliche one percenters to get the utmost out of your ability. Uh, and he's in that same mold as you, so he's going to. Continue to get better, even though he's just been named an NBL All-Star first team. Uh, I I, I dare say he would have been announced in the Olympic team, had the Olympic team going ahead this year. And I really hope he's deserving of a call into the Olympic team next year when it goes ahead in Japan. But he will continue to get better regardless of which program or which league he's playing in.
2: Well, I think, you know, people talk about the best two-way players in the, uh, in the NBL. And I think you got to throw him in that category now. I mean, in that final series, he, you, you almost had to treat him like Bryce Cotton out on the three-point line. I know Sydney's <laughs> game plan was to, to, you know, make someone other than Bryce beat you. But I mean, after he'd hit his seven-three, you thought they were going to close out on him. It was, um, it, it just, you know, and he came, he came out west. He, he wasn't really known as a three-point shooter. He, he could hit it. But you know it was probably one of the the poor areas of his game, but it's now it's become a strength, and I think you know you can see that correlation with how hard he works and and the improvement he's made.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, you know, tens of thousands of shots and hours and hours on court, outside of training time, working on that three-point shot. And, and, yeah, because Sydney hadn't really adjusted to their style of defense all year, we weren't expecting it in Game 2 at all. We tried making a few changes on the fly, but it wasn't good enough. So Game 3, we were better prepared. And, it's, you know, if they're going to deny Tariko let's sit him in one corner and keep some spacing. Bryce is going to be Bryce. You know, there's clips where he literally had four people on him at one stage. Uh, so let's go and set screens and get... Nick or Jesse or Reed whoever Quinn, whoever the other shooter on the court's going to be, let's go screen their guy, so there's no chance of anyone closing out on him and yeah, he uh you know punished the defense with seven threes <laughs> but it's you know it's not a fluke, it's just that he's not used to getting so many open looks and you know. Like all season, everyone had to pick their poison with Bryce and and they went with a triangle and and two and and Nick was the one who got hugely rewarded, but that's off the back. That's not just 40 minutes of good shooting. That's off the back of hundreds of hours of working on his shot.
2: Yeah, well, and I thought Nick Kay was a, a chance. I, I don't think anyone is going to beat Bryce Cotton for, for grand final MVP, but I thought Nick Kay was definitely a, a chance right up there with the, with the way he played and, you know, comes out over here and two championships in, in two years. So I think, uh, I think he's, he's made a right decision and I think the Wildcats have made a good decision there as well. I think, you know, I guess the other thing I wanted to ask you about today is I want to take, I know you got a busy, busy time frame, got to get back to Maggie and Bonnie. I'm sure there's uh,
1: some, some lots board of games, or... lots of arts and crafts going on in the house. I don't know how useless I am, but pretty much everything except maybe playing a little bit of defense. So yeah, the, the artwork around the house. I don't think I've got myself any uh, baby Picasso's or anything or Michelangelo's coming up because their teacher me is horrible.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, yeah. That's, that sounds sounds about right. I think you might want to leave that one just a Brit um, in the art and craft uh, and you can teach them how to play defense. The, um, well,
1: yeah, sorry, keep going. No, Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I'm right now getting around on, on crutches and a scooter so we actually did play basketball the other day and normally I pretend to let Maggie burn me and go in for a layup. She legitimately gets past me easily like unless I'm going to take her out with the scooter or the crutches. Uh, yeah, I can't even get in a stance these days. So. <laughs> Not a whole lot of positives going on in the Martin House. So. Well, you talk
2: about you just had, I you know yeah surgery on the uh, Achilles and and how are you feeling what what's your gut saying about playing um you know is there any type of time frame on making that decision for you at the moment
1: yeah i've kind of known to be honest since the early rounds the severity of the Achilles tear um you know i met with two surgeons our team doctor during the year and and everyone was saying it it requires surgery it's not going to heal from a moon boot and had to weigh up some make some decisions back then obviously if i was younger the club would have taken that decision out of my hands because they would have you know, insisted on surgery straight away with the idea of the future of getting you back for future season. At my age, if I had surgery at the start of the season or you know, a few games into the season, it would have meant I'd miss all the regular season uh, and not sure what would have happened in my future. So even though it meant living in pain and playing in a way that meant my head was saying one thing and my body wasn't capable of doing another and the frustrations that come with that, it, it was still very much worse putting myself in that position to try and win a championship. You know, now that I've had the surgery, it's never fun – you know, realizing you're at an age where um, you know this type of surgery might keep me up for nine to twelve months, and I'm already thirty-five. So, while well, there's so much going on in the world and so much unknown with next season's NBL and time frame, I guess I have the luxury of not having to make a decision. I'm just kind of you know taking care of my wife and kids at the moment and letting some things unfold behind the scenes. But yeah, I love the game, and I've always said I'll continue playing so much as I, I love it, uh, and I can do my role out on the court. You know. My my love for the game, my teammates, red arm to the club—that hasn't changed at all. But it is whether or not I can come back from this and yeah, play my role that's required to wear a Wildcat jersey. And right now, it looks like a, a, a big no. But until I'm forced to make that decision or feel comfortable getting up and, and finalising it, then I'm happy to, to live day to day with things that are much bigger and much more important going on. And and then when a bit of normality comes back to it, then um, yeah, I'll have to face the music, I guess you might say, uh, and make a decision. Now, it was, so was the injury, did it
2: happen during the season?
1: Yeah, or, no, it happened yeah. about three or four games into the into the season. So, yeah, it hasn't been fun to play with and, and trying to hide it. And then against Sydney where it got to a level where I couldn't really move at all, had another MRI, and it showed that between first MRI and second MRI that there was you know some changes, not so much to the tear, but to other things going on, so it was they called it then and there that I've got to go into a moon boot to at least repair the other damage i had done. Took some time off, came back, and yeah, unfortunately, the third MRI I had at the end of the season still showed. The optimist in me was hoping it was going to show there'd been some improvement on the tear, and it maybe it wouldn't require surgery, but yeah, unfortunately, it was still the same. Some other problems going on inside the Achilles, and uh, yeah, went under the knife a few days after seeing my third surgeon for my fourth opinion. <laughs> so, uh, oh, wow. Um, yeah. So you've
2: been, been a, seen all the Achilles experts in, uh, in Perth.
1: I was just looking for one crazy enough to say, no, nah, you're good to go, you can play on. But as one surgeon literally said, "It's has got a career-ending injury, so... Uh, I, you know, had some emotional moments. I don't mind admitting behind closed doors, uh, especially in those words, you know, lingered with me for quite some time or for the rest of the season. And then I kind of knew what the inevitable would be, but I wanted to enjoy each and every moment, whether it was standing on the sideline watching the guys train from a Monday to Thursday or enjoying tuning up my shoes, putting the jersey on and getting out there on game night and finally playing, uh, and just enjoying the highs and lows of, you know, game day.
2: Yeah, I think it's a, uh, it, it, it's, it's, <laughs> You know, it's such a unique thing as a, as a sporting, and especially when you get to that professional level and then you're getting towards the end of your career. And I know, you know, those last month, month and a half, you're just really trying to soak everything in and trying to, you know, just appreciate with, with where you're at. Um, with that, and I, I know with your with your injury, it looked like was it in that Sydney game that second time is when I saw you kind of limp to the bench. You guys, I think you guys beat Sydney. Um, it was earlier in the year, maybe around Christmas time or New Year.
1: Yeah, yeah. When you commented at that
2: second yeah. time.
1: Yeah, that's when it was just, and it was just a basic, you know, maybe a crossover into, you know, stop and jump into a little floater type of thing. Uh And I just remember, I can't do any movement right now, let alone stop and then jump. And and then I was like, Bitch. yeah, just kind of knew then and there that, that something was going on that was outside of. What I should be on a court for and walked off and was like, I don't know what happened, but I literally, you know, can't do any of the movement. Um, and then yeah, had to, had the second scan. And that's where there was a few more things going on that were new that had shown up since the first MRI, but it, those types of things that had shown up were more painful and uh, things that would go away by being in a moon boot four to six weeks. Um, but unfortunately all along was that tear and how do I deal with it? Uh, you know, what I've got to do at the end of the season so that it will actually repair. And, uh, yeah, Sydney was the game where I finally had to take time off and completely change weights, programs, training programs and it was funny the media would come in and I always felt so bad I'd just be standing on the sideline watching my teammates and I didn't really get to train for the last three or four weeks of this season.
2: Well I think it's a credit to you and and just I mean you know being your teammate for for such a long time and seeing you be able to battle through injuries but you know still have an impact on the game you know most most players with an injury like that you know even if they got out on the court you know there's just the effort that you still played with in that uh, grand final series even obviously weren't 100% I think uh I think any basketball fan out there can appreciate what you you've been able to uh be able to do and what, what you've been able to play through that jaw injury that you had up in Townsville, some of the, <laughs> you know, the Achilles, it's just, uh, it's incredible that you're the impact you're able to have when, uh, when you're not 100%. So I think that's, uh, you know, credit, credit to you and, and, and what you've been able to uh, overcome in your career. I mean, <laughs> the list of injuries, I, I think the Wikipedia <laughs> page is going to be about three, four pages long with the, with the injuries that you've had to overcome.
1: Yeah, no, it's, uh, someone asked me, that, I, don't know, I was routed off the ones I could think of off the top of my head, and I was like, yeah, this is a little depressing, actually, next question. So, uh, uh, look, it's and and injury go hand in hand, and I've played the game long enough, which means I'm going to have some injuries but yeah, this one, my first ever serious injury was actually rupturing, complete rupture of my Achilles tendon. So if this is the way I go out, then yeah, the Achilles tendon started and finished my uh, professional playing career. So uh, you know, I've had as many injuries as anything else in my days. It's just this one's hopefully the final time I'm in a moon, but... <laughs> I saw Brits post that
2: uh, when you got when you got married you're in a moon boot uh, when you
1: <laughs> when, we, yeah, when we met I was in a moon boot when we got married I was in a moon boot on my wedding day I took the arm sling off because I just had shoulder surgery uh, so I was in a moon boot on my wedding day and then yeah been quitting anniversary, I was in a moon boot. So the poor girl. The uh, the older we get, the more moon boots I've had, <laughs> and uh, hopefully she can help me through this one, and, and maybe I'll quieten things down and try and avoid injuring myself.
2: Well, uh, you've probably got a uh, closet full of moon boots there. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> you know you should get different colors, not just the black ones. Maybe you should get a <laughs> a, a red one or. I'm thinking about okay riding Teleball. Peak
1: or Nike or Adidas on, and trying to get some sponsorship <laughs> out of it. See what I can do. See if Delivered Over uh, can hook me up. But uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I definitely do have quite a few floating around the house. So any listeners out there, if you ever need a moon boot, just reach out. It's yours. Well, that last question
2: for you. You know what's I, you know obviously as a as a professional athlete, you've got to think about what's next. Um, and I know you've been thinking about that over the years, and. and you know, we hope to see you back out on the court. But you know, if what's what's your kind of been plan? You know, are you going to go into coaching? I know you've been doing some real estate. Is, is it you know to go into that more full time? What um, what are you thinking post career?
1: Yeah, about two and a half years ago, I wanted to make sure that I was starting a plan for this for the moment where I had to retire. And so I have a few passions outside of basketball, you know, property and people, you know, meant I could do a real estate course and with the hours that are allocated to the Wildcats, most people don't want to talk about their property, whether it's selling or buying until after work hours anyway when they're home. And so I was like, oh, I can learn as much as I can from an educational standpoint during the hours of, say, 2 p.m. when I'm finished with the Wildcats and 5 or 6 p.m. when I'm heading into people's houses to talk about their home uh, while I'm still playing. So I didn't want to retire and then, you know, say the following Monday start from scratch and a new career. Instead, I've been lucky enough to have teamed up with a guy who is really good at real estate. I've thoroughly enjoyed, you know, eighteen months in it now as, as a sales rep. And so, if I go into that, you know, live post basketball, at least I've you know got some hours under my belt and, and have a, gen- a basic idea of what I'm talking about. But I've still teamed up with the guy that runs our agency, and I continue to learn from him. But you know, there's a foundation I'm with that uses basketball in an early approach to work with in indigenous communities in Western Australia, and I genuinely enjoy that. Uh, getting up and into the Pilgrim and, and different areas around Perth, metropolitan area. So basketball is always going to be a part of who I am. I don't think I'll go into something like being a head coach. There's just too much out of your control and, and too much to put your family through. You win, they credit the players, they lose, they blame the coach, and before you know it, you're looking for a new job. So while my kids are still young, even though I love the game and will coach in some capacity, I, I think I'll avoid trying to be a, a coach in the NBL in the short term. Uh, but, yeah, who knows? It's, it's one of those things that's exciting, it's scary, uh, in particular when I thought I had things lined up and now we've got coronavirus. And if I do have to retire with this Achilles, I mean, I'll be trying to get, you know, work, in real estate, when no home opens are allowed, uh, no one's listening to buy or sell potentially if this goes on for too much longer. So there probably isn't a worse time <laughs> to be retiring purely from a financial perspective. Uh, but it's, it's a challenge and, and like trying to win a, a championship year in, year out is a challenge that I'm going to have to work hard at and hopefully, you know, I can do something that not only do I enjoy, but it puts bread on the table for my wife and kids. So yeah, it's, it's a scary sort of, what could happen in the next two or three months, but fortunately, I've been enjoying the real estate. I've got a great team that I work alongside and hopefully we all come out at the other end and a bit of normality resumes.
2: Yeah, I'm sure you were looking forward to the off-season where you could kind of spend a little bit more time in the real estate, and then obviously the (laughs) coronavirus thing hits and and shuts that down quite a bit. I'm sure the the level. Has there been any interesting moments? I'm sure, you know, if I'm walking through, the last person I expect to see is Damian Martin (laughs) trying to sell sell me a house. Has there been some interesting moments at some open houses?
1: Uh, It's actually been really nice because Jonathan, you know, our license, the guy that runs our agency, uh, Jonathan and I go to a home open together so I'll be at the front taking people's names and numbers as they enter and we end up spending the first five minutes at home open just talking about the Wildcats and, and it was it was pretty good being at a home open the day after a, a win but if I was ever one after a loss usually that five minutes, five minutes was spent talking about what we could have done better, who played poorly, <laughs> you know, why do I shoot the ball, why do I not pass it to Bryce, you know, just the usual stuff. Uh, but Yeah, it, it was funny the encounters we had uh and, and I actually got to sell a house because they had a, had a list with another agent, they didn't sell it and they asked me to come around and I at a three story home and on the bottom floor there's an indoor basketball court and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And they're like, yeah, we're Wildcats members. I was like, this is making sense now. <laughs> like, who would give me this out to sell? But yeah, I was very jealous when we actually had to hand over the sold sticker and it wasn't for us to move into it because it was beautiful.
2: I do. I remember seeing that, uh, the photos of that house. And yeah, I think all the basketballers were pretty jealous of that <laughs> one to have a, I have a home gym, especially these days where all the gyms are closed and you can't get out on a basketball court. So, uh, um, yeah,
1: it's it's not a bad house. You're stuck in isolation. That's for sure. <laughs>
2: well, Damian Martin, thanks for your time today. It's always a, a pleasure to catch up. And, um, I, you know, congratulations on, on your sixth title. I mean,
0: Unfortunately, a bit of an abrupt end there to to Sean's chat with Damo. But if anyone knows Damien Martin, that won't come as a great surprise. So as we found out later, his phone battery went flat, and, and that was the end of that was the end of things. So not overly surprising for a man who's known as probably the most forgetful player in NBL history for forgetting forgetting phones, leaving them behind in all sorts of places around the world leaving his training singlets all, all over the place and whatever else you can imagine. So not quite the ending we were hoping for to that chat on Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle, but I hope you enjoyed listening to Sean catch up with Damo. Fascinating chat between the last two championship-winning captains at the Perth Wildcats. They they obviously shared four championships together. They played probably around 250 games together. So great to great to hear them catch up. I hope you all enjoyed it. And here during this coronavirus outbreak, we'll, we'll endeavour to bring you more of these sort of interviews as well. And, and next up, I'm hoping to catch up with Galen Young. Ten years ago, he helped the Perth Wildcats win a championship in the NBL. So it'll be fascinating to hear what he's been up to since and, and to, to reconnect with him and to, to hear what his memories are of his time in the NBL as well. Thanks for joining us.
2: Have a great time.